Well, we have been in a preaching series called Your, Your Next 30 Days, and the driving thought of your next 30 days has been this. You cannot follow Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus standing still. How many of you want to move forward in your life? How many of you? How many of you want to take a step forward? You don't want to be standing where you are. You can't follow Jesus standing still. Recently, I read this. I want to read it to you. Somebody wrote this. Nothing in my life seems to be working right now. I'm lonely. I'm broke. I'm not where I need to be. Every door I try to walk through closes before me. Does God even care? I'm really struggling right now. Every step seems like it's backward. I take three steps forward, and then it seems like I take 20 steps backward. And then they write this. I really need to go forward. That phrase, I really need to go forward. I really need to move in victory. I really need a, a breakthrough. See, to move forward, it means to advance. It means to see a breakthrough happen. You know, you, you, we have this in life. We have this in science, don't we? We have breakthroughs. We have moved forward. We, we have this in diplomacy. There's moments of moving forward in diplomacy. And there's even moments in our own life where we see breakthrough. We, we get to see uh, moments of moving forward, whether it's in our marriage or it's in a, a relationship that we have or whether it's with our children or whether it's with our neighbor or whether it's with our career or with our, with our finances. Maybe it's even our walk with God that we have moments of moving forward. And we love those moments. We love the mountaintop. That's where we want to be. But the antithesis, the opposite of a breakthrough moving forward is to move backward, right? It's a setback. It's a stall. It's a dead end. It, you're stalemated. There's no progress. And, and we feel, we have feel this and we have felt this, haven't we? Maybe you felt this in your career. You just feel like, and you're stalled out. Or you're in your parenting. You just feel like there, you just can't seem to see a breakthrough or in your relationship with your spouse or uh, with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, with those in your your work environment, your finances, they just feel like they're stalled. They're moving backward. Maybe it's your relationship with God. You feel like the, you've been at the same place spiritually for the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever years or months it's been. Here's the good news. I don't know if you figured this out or not, but God, he uses our pain. He uses our setbacks to ready us to move forward. That's good news. He uses those times and get us ready and to prepare us for a breakthrough. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he says it this way, the God, he whispers to us in our life, but he shouts, he screams in our pain. And what he's screaming is this. He's like, are you ready for a breakthrough? Are you ready to move forward? That's good news. That's, are you awake this morning? That's good news. Can I get a little help this morning? Are, you know, that's good news. Anybody ready for a breakthrough? Yeah. One of the things that I think moves us forward more than anything else in the life of a believer is prayer. Prayer moves us forward. Everybody say prayer with me. Prayer. See, there's nothing standing still about prayer. Mm, that's good, all right? There's nothing standing still about prayer. 
I came to Christ on the east side of Columbus, Ohio, a little suburb called Pickerington, Ohio. It was a church plant in the cafeteria of a local high school and, and it grew very, very, very large, about the size of this church. And I was attending and, 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 and as, even though I grew up in a Christian home, I didn't begin to follow Christ until I was 17 and my life radically changed. I began to follow and love Jesus and my life has changed ever since, okay? I'm not, it's not a perfect ride, but it's been a ride that I wouldn't trade the world for. And uh, I remember that the pastor would bring up this one guy kind of randomly to pray. And man, when you, he'd come to the stage, it would be like the heavens opened and he was talking directly to God. Have you ever been around somebody that prayed like that? You're like, am I even a Christian? Like, am I even saved? You know what I mean? When you hear this person or these individuals pray, it was like God put his spotlight on him and he would begin to pray and all of a sudden everybody would get excited. Because he was moving heaven and earth. Like there was nothing standing still about this man's prayer. But prayer, it's confusing at times, isn't it? It's a little bit perplexing. It's a little bit of a, a weird oddity. This prayer, it's nebulous at times. There's so many things about prayer that even though we, we may not even notice or huh, maybe we discover this morning. I mean, think about it with me. Can you imagine if you went to your boss the next day and you spoke to him like you speak when you pray? Oh, John, I come before you now. And I ask for a hedge of protection, John, around me and my loved ones. Oh, John, would you come and lead the way as we work? He would be like, get out of here. You are weird, right? Or have you ever noticed that when you pray, you say just a lot? Have you ever, God, we come before you, and I just pray that you would just do this. God, I pray you would just do that. Just, 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 just. Have you ever thought about that before? You say just a lot. Or, you know, there's the, the question about, do I pray with my eyes closed? Do I pray with my eyes open? Do I have to pray out loud? Do I to, can I pray inwardly? Do I have to have another voice when I pray? Like some people, you know, right? Some people start to use a whole different voice. Like they talk like this, but when they pray, they're like, Lord! You know what I'm saying? You're like, is that how you pray? What? And then there's always the, the Christian mooing. Let me give you an example of this. Have you ever been praying and someone starts mooing? You're like, Heavenly Father, and they're like, mmm. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And, you know, and you're like, did he just moo at me? And I think it's an agreement, right? But you're like, yeah, that's true. The prayer. There's a lot of questions about prayer, but this morning I just want to answer three questions. Uh, we could talk on and on and on about prayer, but three questions I want to answer to you this morning. What is prayer? Why should we pray? And how do we pray? There's a lot of scriptures that I'm going to use this morning, and if you're listening, God, you're going to need that because I'm going to fly through a lot of these scriptures. Typically, I center on one scripture, and we go verse by verse, word by word through, but this morning we're not going to exposit one. We're going to look at multiple. We're going to answer these three questions, and we're going to look first at this first question, what is prayer? What is prayer? Well, it's been said this, that prayer is inexhaustible as God himself. This is more of the chips and salsa of prayer this morning. We can't even get into the main course. Prayer can do anything God can do. To be, God, to be with God is to pray. Prayer is the rain that falls down on the dry, cracked, barren Christian soul. Anybody of you seen the movie Dunkirk? Raise your hand. Anybody seen that movie? Really good movie. Really good movie. And it, it's this hit, the story about the history of Dunkirk, France. 
It's the story of the Allied forces against Nazi Germany, and Nazi Germany is pushing the Allied forces back. In fact, many would say that they were on the brink of a worldwide victory, okay? If they would have won perhaps that victory, we all would be speaking German today. And so the, the, the British forces are on the beach of Dunkirk, and they are overwhelmed, and the Allied, or the uh, German forces are pushing them back, and they are overwhelmed, and they are being bombed on the beach, and they are being bombed in their ships, and then all of a sudden the fortunes change, and the air support from the British come roaring in to save the day. You see, if we're using a battle analogy, we're the ground troops and prayer is the air support coming to save the day. That's what prayer is. Second question I want to talk to you about this morning is why should we pray? Why should we pray? Jesus and his followers, of Jesus, and his followers they would tell Jesus, they would ask him one question. They didn't ask him, how do you heal people? How do you turn the uh, loaves and fishes into feed 5,000 plus people? They didn't ask how the creation was established. They didn't ask, all that. what is the one question they asked him to teach him? Lord, in Luke chapter 11, one through two, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And they knew this, to move forward in prayer is to move forward in life. Can I get a little help? That was really good, okay? To move forward in prayer is to move forward in life, amen? So here this morning, I just wanna give you just five reasons why I personally, how, why Ray Green prays. Five personal reasons. Look, this isn't overly theological. This is not fanciful. This isn't gonna wow you to no end, but this is just five reasons why I personally, Ray Green, pray. Ready? Here's the first one. I pray because I want a relationship, not a religion. I pray because I want a relationship, not a religion. In John's gospel, chapter 14, Jesus says this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Do you notice something? That he is moving into a realm of personal relationship. In the next chapter, John chapter 15, verse 14, he calls them, you are my what? Friends. Now, why does God say that? Here's why. Because God, the, the, the entire understanding of Christianity is that God is continually revealing himself to us through his word and through his Holy Spirit. That he is our friend and he is our heavenly father. All other religions dead. This one revealing himself continually, speaking to us, walking with us. I had my first born baby girl, and I'll never forget holding her in my arm. And, you know, I joke all the time. First I smiled, and then I gave her my credit card, you know. <laughs> and, and thirdly, all of a sudden I understood, God, I understand your love a little better. And it began to define for me the Father's love and the friendship of the Father. And when I began to define the friendship and the love of the Father, everything else began to be defined a little bit better. You see, if you misdefine God, you misdefine everything else. You can literally make sense of nothing if you've not first made sense of God, friend. I pray because I want a relationship, not a religion. I have this here. It's a uh, picture that my little daughter drew. It's a flower. She drew it for me last night. She said, here you go, Dad. I said, that is the best flower ever. And I, I took it and put it on my Bedstand with the hundreds and hundreds of other notes they've written us. I still haven't figured out what to do with all of them, all right? Maybe I should start a business, how to catalog all the notes your kids give to you. Anyways, I'm holding this in my hand. The reason why I brought it this morning is because this defines a father-daughter relationship, doesn't it? It's, it's unconditional. It's covenantal. 
There's nothing, nothing business about it, is there? But if I had a, a briefcase on stage with me, that would be very business-like. That would be contractual. That would be like, you pay me this, and I'll do this. If you tell me this, I'll do this. It's very conditional. It's not covenantal. When you begin to define God as your friend and your father, it completely defines everything else. You ask me, Ray, why do you want a relationship? Why do you pray? I want a relationship because, man, I just, here's the deal. I just love God. I just love Jesus. And I don't want anything between him and me. If there's something in me that I've been doing, that I've been sinning in some way, I, I want to get rid of that before Almighty God. If you take Christ out of Christianity, that's a Christianity that I don't want. Second thing, the reason I pray, I pray because life happens. Anybody know that? Life happens, right? See, you're either going into a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're in the middle of a storm. Psalm 69.1 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The flood engulfs me. He loves to rescue you in the storm, friends. He also loves to give you wisdom. James 1.15, if any of you lacks wisdom, <laughs> love it. Life happens. This last week, I woke up early in the morning. True story. God put in my heart a family to pray for. I began to pray for them, pray for him, his wife, his two grown boys. And lo and behold, I go to talk to him about 8 a.m. that morning. I said, how are you doing? And he said, you know, you'll never guess it, but my, my son was in the hospital at 2 a.m. I said, there is God reminding somebody else to pray for rescue and wisdom. Have you ever felt like the ceiling is coming down on you? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like that you just couldn't do anymore? Have you ever felt like that there was no way you could take one more step? Have you ever felt like that? Nobody has felt. Any, can I get a little help up here? <laughs> Anybody felt that way before? Yeah, people have felt that way before. I'm telling you what, prayer holds the ceiling up. Huh. Hmm. I also pray because it brings me joy. The Westminster Confession, a bunch of really smart guys got together and they created this confession. The West, Westminster Confession says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. John Piper has famously said that this is Christian hedonism. To be a follower of Jesus, a Christian hedonist. And you're thinking, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know this pastor, that church and hedonism, that doesn't typically go together, but it does here. And here's why. A couple weeks ago, my back was hurting real bad. I, I hurt it when I was in an athletic accident when I was younger. My back's always hurt. Every Sunday after I preach, I go home and I have to put a heating pad on it typically. And my back was hurting and I, I was sitting with my wife and I said, my, my, she goes, are you okay? And I said, man, my back is hurting. And she says, with all the compassion in her heart, she says, I'm so sorry. And I said, are you really sorry? Here's why I said that, because I don't want any dutiful answer. You know what I'm saying? I don't want any kind of obligatory response. I want it real. Anybody else like that? Like, uh, don't, don't patronize me, right? And, and we laughed later because I knew it was coming from her heart. God doesn't want obligation either. He doesn't want your duty. He wants you to enjoy him. See, winning in prayer is enjoying God the most. More joy, more peace. David said, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. I pray, number four, because there's nothing truly good apart from God. There's nothing truly good apart from God. That's why I pray. This last week I was reading about CVS. 
Do you guys know about CVS? Nobody has ever, like, the first service didn't know about CVS. How many of you know or have seen or driven past a CVS before? Come on, give me a little help. Yeah, there we go. This is participatory this morning, okay? So CVS, they, they, they said by the year 2020, they're not going to Photoshop any of their models for any of their advertisements. Seriously, true story. The spokesperson said that the promotion of unrealistic body images is not good at all. And my point in sharing that is this, that we can project, we can conjure up, we can fake all day long, but the only good thing in our real life is God. The only purpose we're going to find is God. David said this in Psalm 16 too, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. And that word good that David uses, it actually in the Hebrew means of benefit. And it's interesting enough, to the naked eye, David had it all. Check this out, guys. He was handsome, he was wealthy, and he was a leader. Every single person here would have been like, that guy's got it together. And David said this, look, the only thing that's good is not come from my wealth, not come from my good looks, not come from all the leadership I've got, but it's from God himself. It's been said this, that life lies not in who we are, but in whose we are. That's why I pray. And finally, I pray, number five, for more power to move forward in my life. I pray for more power to move forward in my life. James chapter 5, 16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, look at that verse for a second. Just real quickly, look at that verse. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, you think about your life. Every single person in this room has prayed a prayer and it's not come true. And you see this verse and you're like, okay, so I must not be righteous enough. I must not be good enough. How many times have I thought that? So many. Man, I must not be doing something right because God isn't answering this prayer of mine. But we get it all wrong, friends. Here's why we get it all wrong. The brother of Jesus, James, he uses a word righteous in the Greek and it has to do with a person, a man or a woman or a child who sees their sin, who sees their brokenness, recognizes their need for a savior, Jesus Christ, who came, who that person then has repented, who asks Christ to save them, to empower them and help them rediscover the dream God had for them originally. That's the righteous person. And if you have done that, friend, then you don't have to be a saint to see your prayers become powerful. You can be an ordinary Joe Schmo. It's not for the pros. It's the Joes, the ordinary Joes that God has a plan for and his prayers can be powerful. Isn't that good news? It's good news for me because I'm an ordinary person just like you. You have no idea how much power there is in prayer, friends. The impossible is not improbable with prayer. There was a great move of God a couple hundred years ago. It was called the Noonday Revival. The Noonday Revival. It was put on by a bunch of businessmen. Typically, God anoints a preacher. This wasn't the case. It was a bunch of businessmen who said, hey, we're going to start gathering at noon, and we're going to start praying for our friends who don't know Jesus Christ and for God to convict them of their sin and for them to turn and, and discover the, God's dream for their life. They began to get together to pray, and outwardly, they begin to pray. And they'd have this little timer so that they didn't pray too long in public, and they would begin to pray. And people would join them right and left and right and left. And this revival began to happen, and the Spirit of God began to move in such of dramatic fashion that there were 30 million people in the United States and 2 million people came to Jesus Christ through this revival. 
All right, this is a mighty move of God. It began to spread all over the United States. It spread to the eastern seaboard of the United States. And ships, before they had come to our shores, were impacted by the Spirit of God. Listen to this as one author shares. Revival began aboard one ship before it reached the coast. People on board began to feel the presence of God and a sense of their own sinfulness. The Holy Spirit convicted them and they began to pray as the ship neared the harbor. The captain signaled, I love this, send a minister. Ship after ship arrived with the same story. Both passengers and crew were suddenly convicted of sin and turned to Christ before they reached the American coast. Hundreds of sailors were converted. The battleship became a mighty center of revival. And everywhere those sailors went, the revival fire did as well. Prayer moves in power. Friends, if you want a breakthrough, if you want to move forward, it's because of prayer. If you want to move forward in your marriage, if you want to move forward in your life, if you want to move forward in a relationship, if you want to move forward in your faith, if you want to move forward for more of God, if you've been at the same maturity level with God for a number of years, if you want your addiction to be broken, if you want your temptation, if you want to grab, grab a hold of that temptation, all of it, my friends, is found in the power of prayer. If you want to break through, prayer is the only thing that can bring it. That's why I pray. How should we pray? It's the third question. How should we pray? Uh, family got together and they invited all these people to their house, all these guests. And the mom put on this huge meal and they all gathered around the table together and they all sit down and they're getting ready to eat the food. And she said, let's say the blessing. And she turned to her six-year-old little daughter and said, dear, would you say the blessing? And little six-year-old says to mom, mom, I don't know what to say. She said, well, just say what mommy says. So the little girl goes, okay, okay. So she folds her hands together, bows her head. Everyone kind of bows her heads together like this. And the little girl begins to scream with all of her might, dear Lord, why did I invite all of these people over to our house? <laughs> That's not how you pray, okay? How do you pray? There was a man, his name was Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a lawyer, very a respectable, intelligent man. He moved to Adams, New York to practice law. He was an atheist. He moved to Adams, New York, and he began attending this church ominously just to build a case against Christianity, to, to push himself further away from God altogether, if you will. And he began to re record and catalog all the different things the people in that little church would pray for that didn't come true. Finally, after a few months of attending, someone approached Finney and said, hey, is there anything that we can pray for you about? And this is what he said. No, I suppose I need to be prayed for and I am conscious that I am a sinner. But it will do no good for me. You're constantly asking for what you, did not you do not receive. You've been praying for revival of this religion. You've been praying for the Holy Spirit to descend upon yourself. You've prayed enough to pray the devil out of this town. You're praying and still complaining still. <laughs> Charles Finney ended up having an encounter with God so miraculously. He would put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he would become... Some think the greatest instrument of revival this country has ever seen. Here's the reason why I share that story. How do you pray? Well, here's how you pray. When Finney 
said yes to Jesus Christ, he answered that little church's prayer. And how he answered that little church's prayer was in complete and utter belief. I wrote this down. Belief doesn't change who God is. Belief agrees with God and who he is. The, under, uh, the, uh, the, the undergirding and foundation of how we pray is fermented in belief. God says we are capable of having a prayer life that is effective. Look, here's the deal. You can accomplish more in your prayer closet than you can ever do in life. You can accomplish more in your prayer closet through prayer than you can ever do in a million years of spinning your wheels. Listen up. All of you who are driven and all of you in this place that have a huge amount of capacity, you don't have enough. But God does. And his, your prayers can be powerful. And heaven literally can come to earth through prayer. <laughs> so how do you pray? First of all, you must stop calling God a liar. You must first stop calling God a liar. I read that list last week and I thought, wow, that's good. Here's why I say that. I was walking down the hall the other day. My little girl runs up to me and she says, Daddy, Daddy, can I have a snack? I said, it's 30 minutes before dinner. You can't have a snack. She runs into the other room where my, where my uh, wife is and she says, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy said I can have a snack. I walked down the hall. I said, look, I, I'm thinking to myself, now that's a pretty good strategy. I have to give you credit. But no, that's not what I said. She said, yes, you did. I said, are you calling me a liar? I did not say that. We're calling God a liar so often. That last night, my little girl climbed up into my arms, and I'm holding her. And she's too big for my arms, but you know, you, you, they can never get too big for your arms, right? So she's curled up, and I just say, your daddy loves you so much. There's nothing you can do to make me, any, make me love you any less or any more. There, I love you, sweetie. I kiss her on the forehead. Now, let's just say that was in our living room. Let's just say that you're sitting in my kitchen. And she runs into the kitchen and you, you're, you're kind of kneeled down. And you say, come here, come here, little girl. And she comes up to you and you say, hey, I just want you to know your daddy, he doesn't love you. He actually hates you. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to do anything good. In fact, you're nothing but little and small. You're never going to amount to anything. You, he's a liar and he doesn't like you. <laughs> First of all, I'm going to wait till no one's looking and I'm going to punch you in the mouth, all right? <laughs> Maybe. Second of all, second of all, that's not what God says to you. He says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 12, he says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, friends. Belief is essential. We got to quit calling God a liar. I know unbelief is so easy for us, but God says, careful now. You got to believe. You got to have faith. John chapter 20, verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Mark 16, 14, afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. James chapter one, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Going to God in prayer and doubting him is like saying, hey, dad, hey, liar, give me that inheritance. Do you see how it doesn't work? But God is saying that your prayer can be powerful, that it can move the mountains, that the impossible is not improbable in prayer. In Mark chapter 11, he says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Hebrews eleven six. and without, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What impossible prayer should you be starting right now? That's the first one. We've got to stop calling God a liar. The second one is confess our sin and, belief, and our unbelief. Our sin could be our unbelief. Our sin could be something that's separating us from God. Look, I, I woke up this morning. I said, God, am I good with you? Is there anything between you and me right now that I need to confess? Is there anything that's blocking you speaking to me and walking with me today? We've got to confess our sin and unbelief. Number three, we've got to record it. We've got to record it. What I, here's what I mean by that. I've got this, this notebook. And in the notebook, I've got one section. It's got the date of the prayer in the middle. It's got the description of the prayer. In the end, it's got the day that it's been re- the, the prayer is going to be answered. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Number one, I want you to make sure that you're specific in your prayer. I don't just ask God, God, would you just love me today? Because, you know, how am I going to know if God answered that prayer? I'm going to ask specific prayers like, God, I pray for my daughters to marry men that love you. I pray for daughters, uh, for, uh, for my daughter's husbands that they would have a good job and that they would move out of my basement and that they would have a great life and they would follow you and they'd be Ohio State Buckeyes, God. Like, those are the things I pray for in my journal. <laughs> The fourth one is this, persevere, <laughs> my favorite. Would you persevere in prayer? Persevere in asking God prayers that would bring glory to himself. Asking God for prayers that are all about you and not about God, those, my friends, those, those won't be answered. But those who are going to bring glory to his name and move his kingdom forward, persevere in those things. Don't stop asking psalms. 88, 9 says, every day, Lord, I lift my hands to you in prayer. I call to you every day, persevere. What if those people, what if those people in Adams, New York, who had been praying for years for revival, had stopped one year before Charles Finney came to their church? What would have happened? There's a woman in our church, she Marion Hall, she's just a saint of a woman. I love her to death. And yesterday I was serving with her in the concession stand for our sports minister, Graceland New Sports, we have hundreds of basketball players and I'm making popcorn. That was my job, making popcorn. And I double dosed on the seasoning, okay? So it was a little too salty. We sold more beverages. It all worked out, all right? But all that to be saying, I'm making popcorn. I'm stuck in one place and she comes up to me and she says, hey, can I tell you a story? I said, well, I'm stuck. You can tell me all the stories you want. So she starts telling me the story about her brother-in-law. In 1980, God told her that her brother-in-law one day would commit his life to Christ. In 1980, so she prayed and she persevered and she prayed and she persevered and she prayed and she persevered. 2007, is that right, Marian? 2007, 2009, even later. He moves in with 
this brother-in-law moves in with them. And one day she's at the kitchen table, she's reading the Bible, and he says, what are you doing? Can I sit next to you? She says, sure. And they begin to read scripture together and talk. And two weeks later, he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ because that woman persevered. That's right, you can clap. Yeah, amen. So would you commit every day? Don't give up. Don't give up on her. Don't give up on him. Don't give up on they. Don't give up on whatever it is. Persevere, my friend. A great tool to do that I use is set your alarms on your phone. You can take it out. You can do it right now. 8.08 a.m., 8.08 p.m. And at least twice a day that alarm will go off and it'll encourage you. Persevere in prayer. I've got to do it right now. Would you hold out your right hand? Just hold it out right here in front of you, okay? All right, this is your right hand. When you see your right hand, this is going to be a great tool for you. Okay, you can put it back down. You're going to need it. And we're going to show it on the screen. And in your listening guide, fill this out. The thumb on your right hand. Who, this is, your right hand is to who to pray for. Your thumb, family and friends. Your index finger, teachers and leaders in your community. Write this down. It's good. Your tallest finger. Careful now. Okay, your tallest finger. Influencers in your community. Your ring finger, the sick, the poor, the young, and the elderly, the smallest yourself. Notice that's the smallest amount of prayer. It's your right hand. Your left hand, everybody hold your, your left hand up right now. Hold it up, okay? Now, your left hand is what to pray for. Your thumb is your heart. Your index is your priorities and schedule. Your tallest is your, your influence and your example. Your ring fingers, your relationships. Your small fingers, your material blessings and the things you're gonna ask God that you need in your life to persevere and to pray so that the, the improbable is not impossible in prayer.